0: Basically, saying Gerd's name completely wrong. All oh, right, well, thanks I for just joining said us. It. I said that right, didn't I? I still said it right. Yeah. I
1: mean,
2: if you want, you can all pick your own pronunciation and we'll <laughs> ask the listeners to decide which one they prefer.
1: It was Gerd, right?
3: Yeah. Gerd.
2: But I'm not going to prep you. We're, we're going to go through <laughs> the <that next time. laughs>
1: Back
3: uh, going to be it's, it's the gaelic it's the gaelic audience
0: things. we're trying to uh, we're
1: trying to sort of alienate hang on a second don't tar us all with the same brush.
0: <laughs> i can barely say the name of our podcast so i don't know why i opened it by, i don't know anyone
1: can
0: say the name of our podcast <laughs> I so have you listened to any of the shows before <laughs> you accompany me through my local shop for the weekend and was oh, a lovely good. experience <laughs> i was
2: incredibly impressed with the breadth of your app news by the way I, I have never heard like that
0: much investigative reporting
3: done. Calling it investigative reporting <laughs> is quite generous.
0: Don't belittle my work on this, John. I spent bloody hours with
3: this ah, stuff. You're a touch, <laughs> Echoey. You need to get the pillows uh, out.
1: Got loads of them here. Hotel mm. rooms, yes. Yeah,
3: where, where are you, exactly? I'm
2: in, in Madrid. Very yeah,
1: smelly. Madrid today and the Barcelona tomorrow. It's just a bit of a pain, though, because it's very unpredictable timing wise.
3: It's not unpredictable, is it? It's it's an hour. It is.
1: From.
3: It's there's it nothing is. difficult about <laughs> <laughs> it. No. I, I oh,
2: don't know why I'm agreeing God. to let like the audio change, just as you it can go run un- dream. Hello
0: and welcome back to the Digitals in the Cruel World podcast. Uh, my name's Ryan Pearcy, and I am your host for today. Got a really interesting show today. We have our first cornerstone sponsor on. And for those of you who don't know uh, what a cornerstone sponsor is in the digital, in a cruel world podcast realm, that is basically our lifetime sponsor, one of four lifetime sponsors that we will be working closely with. But before we delve into this, firstly, I want to talk a little bit about what the show is about today, which is open banking and open banking payments specifically, which I know, John, you love, you love open banking, don't you, mate? <laughs> so you're looking forward to today and how you've been?
3: Thanks, Ryan. Yes, I am looking forward to today's session uh, and today's interview with the guys from Comma massively. It's definitely one of the most exciting spaces in the accountancy world at the moment. And yeah, we need to find out a bit more. Get that get that word out there to accountancy practices. Get it out to businesses. Get them to understand how this technology is going to transform the way that they work.
0: Cool. We're well, definitely going to be very interesting to hear your your interview. And indeed. Our wonderful producer, how are you? Where are you at the moment?
1: I am in Madrid gallivanting, but I wouldn't have missed today's episode for the world because as you said, we are really excited to have Comma on board and hear more about open banking in its rawest format, how it compares in the market. And for anyone that's kind of coming in to try and understand what this open banking thing is and where it fits in their spectrum, at least we've got the opportunity to do it some justice
0: true and that means that there is no pressure on our guest today to delve deep into the realms of open banking and how Commer are working in that space so we have the wonderful Jer Kelly who is head of banking at Commer is that correct Jer?
2: I am indeed for my sins I sit over everything banking at Commer which as kind of open banking implies is quite a lot although it turns out, I might be able to just leave John to do the, the talking for me
0: yeah he is our resident expert well at least he pretends to be i think he mentioned it once and from then we've just jumped on it and made him the expert on open banking not sure he has a clue what he's talking about Um, resident mouth that's what i am (laughs) Resident mouth yeah that's probably a better summary but before we jump into the interview let's crack on with app news
2: is the color thing planned you've got like a power rangers thing going on (laughs)
0: like
2: the memo
3: or if indie indie fails completely, you could just chip in and be indie for a bit.
1: Frankly,
0: I'm struggling to tell the
2: difference. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you, you just need to get yourself an air hostess tie, and you're it.
1: Oh, piss yeah. off. Anyway. So I've got something this week kicking off app news. We've got the first slew of live events here and I just want to put it in everyone's calendar so that we all, can all make sure that we're at the same events together and um, we've got account text on the 11th and the 12th of May, digital accountancy show which is on the 8th of June, zero the first zero in a couple of years on the 20th and the 21st of July and then accounting web live which is being held again on the 30th of November to the 1st of December. So there's no news on the Sage Summit or QBO Connect being an in-person event, but there is a virtual event on the 9th and the 10th of March. So important dates for everyone's diary and hopefully we see some funny faces as well as some exciting little bits that we're doing at hopefully the Digital Accountancy Show as a podcast crew. So hopefully we can tell more people about that in the next episode. Ryan, what do you think?
0: I think you're committing us to stuff now we actually have to do some work but no I think we, we definitely should you know the live events are great it's not so much about I guess the news they release but it's about meeting up with your peers and learning about what they're doing so I find them great for that I, I tend to miss a lot of the, the talks and just end up catching up with lots of people another thing that's happened recently is we've had the accounting web software awards and I just want to touch on some of these which I think is quite interesting so they've had FreeAgent, Agent, which is the SME bookkeeping software of choice. We've had iPlicit, which is the ERP software, which I know we've talked about before. That's gone ahead of the likes of Sage, etc. I think that's quite a promising product in the market at the moment. BrightPay is heading up payroll. We've got Free Agent is beaten, Dexed, and auto entry to data um, extraction for expenses, which I found really baffling. And then TaxCalc for both tax preparation and accounts preparation. County manager of for practice management and float for forecasting and cash management. Now, I don't know if this is, cause this is a, an accounting web poll. I don't know if this, if this speaks about the best software out there or the accounting web user base, because some of the, the ones that have won are ones that I'd be surprised about. But I guess it shows that there's certain ones we should probably pay more attention to the likes of free agent. I know we're talking about a bit more in the pod.
1: Yeah, and there were a couple of that were dropped as well, awards-wise. So normally, Accounting Web hold a live event, and they haven't done that in a couple of years because of COVID. But the one that I noticed that was dropped was Practice Suite of the Year, which in the previous years has been held, I think, by BTC, KPM, and a few others that have been really covering all of the accounting software suites. Um, maybe a shift into the fact that more apps are coming into the the fray, and you know it's changed the way that practices now operate.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair comment, Indy. Um, I think a lot of practices are pursuing best of breed, aren't they, for for their practice apps? So yeah. Very interesting. So I've got some news as well on share prices because everyone wants to know about share prices of their favorite apps. Zero share value was relatively stagnant through 2021. So it was actually down a little bit by 4.7%. Whereas Sage was actually up 45% and Intuit was up by 78%. So really interesting to see the three heavyweights, I suppose, in the, in the cloud accounting SME space having different performance relative to each other. There are elements of... For Sage and for Intuit, you know they've obviously got lots of different products within within their ecosystem and what they're offering out to both SMEs and larger businesses. Whereas you know Zero obviously very much focused on the SME sector, but quite it's quite surprising for me at least that their shares were down.
0: Yeah, well I, I definitely think this ties in more with acquisitions than growth in subscriber, uh, based on what we've seen. Sage and Intuit made some really big acquisitions in the year, and I think that helped boost their the share price. Whereas zeros were. I guess, more longer-term plays, buying tech. So I was surprised that zero went down rather than increase with what's been going on.
3: Maybe it feeds into investor sort of discomfort around changes at the board level. You know, we've obviously had uh, some of the original people who have changed and moved on, and and we've now got new people at the top in key roles, and maybe some question marks about what their longer-term strategy is.
0: Definitely. I think this ties also into my next bit of news, which is Intuit's released their quarter results to January 2022 they've not got much growth overall but i thought a, a key bit of information was that their small business and self-employed area so I guess the, the key product that we work with has jumped up from 1.08 billion last year so 2021 january 2021 the quarter ended to 1.58 billion. The quarter ended January 2022. That's, that's huge growth in revenue. We don't know any more on the details of what that breakdown is, but that was one of the biggest growth in their overall revenue. My guess is that's something related to tax season and the amount that's paid on filing tax, probably over in the US uh, more than the UK, which is more subscription model, but that's a punt.
1: There was something interesting that I wanted to ask you both about, whether your firms are adopting this approach, but the hybrid working has been rolled out to 79% of firms the majority of them being in mid-tier and only about 34% engagement with the smaller firms. So how has that translated for both of you in this space?
0: Yeah, well, it's definitely something that we've brought in. Historically, the first adopters of this were smaller firms, and then COVID obviously forced mid-tier to consider how they worked, being able to work from home. And in I sped up that that change process that goes through mid-tier firms. And once they realised it worked, you can just roll it out and scale. And I think pretty much every mid-tier firm realised actually there's not a massive negative effect. Is that something you've seen, John?
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. We've had hybrid working, operating, obviously, throughout the, the COVID restrictions and things in terms of <clears throat> when we couldn't work in the office, then when we could and maybe... Uh, trying to figure out what the right balance was and now that sort of restrictions have eased here in the uk we are fully committed to that hybrid working model and i'm sure over time that'll probably change a little bit in terms of you know we might have to tweak a few things here and there a key thing for us as a business is we focus on client outcomes you know are we achieving what we said we're going to achieve are we meeting deadlines etc as long as we do that it doesn't really matter how we work
0: training of staff becomes very challenging remotely and when you're a bigger firm to mid-tier firms i guess you can spread that so you've got obviously people that um, can train or support in the office kind of spread out so it helps with that support whereas a smaller firm you've probably got one person that's doing that and so i guess that's why it's more challenging for the smaller firms to roll out and scale
3: yeah i'd agree a lot of our trainees sort of learn through osmosis if you like so they're they're learning from being in the room and listening to those conversations and hearing what what's being discussed and and how we deal with clients and problems etc if you've not got somebody sort of sat at the end of a desk or something you, lo- you do lose that sort of ability to sort of directly supervise and check what they're doing but you know that that's one of the things we have to overcome and one of the things that we've done as a business is we started some hybrid training solutions for our for our trainees where we've recording short videos on how to use tech etc. So I've got some news on a, a new partnership that's come through with both KPMG and BlueJay. So BlueJay is a US and Canada based artificial intelligence tool which is focused predominantly on legal contracts and uh, taxation. This is the first here in the UK for KPMG and within Europe as well. Effectively what they've built is, is an artificial intelligence tool to aid the KPMG tax team in terms of their tax compliance and tax advisory teams making sure that what they're doing is, is taking in the information that they're provided there are a series of checklists that you can complete and then it's it's outputting a number of potential scenarios based on the legislation and case law that's then the voluminous tax books that we we're, we're all remember when we were doing our exams so it's, it's, it looks like a really interesting partnership it'll be Interesting to see how long something like that takes to filter down to the rest of the accounts. Fascinating use of artificial intelligence could save potentially KPMG and their tax team a considerable amount of time. And it would be interesting to see how that then filters down through the rest of the market.
0: Is this the beginning of the end for tax advisory, John? Everyone's <laughs> going to be replaced by robots, just like it happened in the accountancy space.
3: <laughs> totally. This is, this is the end for all accountants. We're all going to be turned into robots. The key thing about this is, Yes, it's a, an interesting use of artificial intelligence, but the, the reality is that for quite a few decisions, whether that's in taxation, whether it's in wider accounts, et cetera, they're relatively binary or they're, they're gated gated processes in terms of, you know, if you do this, then that happens. If you do that, then this happens. And so I think this is a really useful use case for using artificial intelligence to effectively save time from someone having to go back to the books and try and remember everything and actually apply their knowledge and experience in a way that's relevant which is really getting back to that advisory conversation and not basically saying well if you get paid £50,000 in in France you'll have to pay this amount of tax which you know we can do with a spreadsheet and a little bit of knowledge.
0: You know it has to start somewhere we've had a lot coming through from the accounting space supposedly bookkeepers were going to be made redundant because everything was going to be automated and that hasn't come through so it's just an early start. Purchase
3: ledger people get rid of purchase ledger people you don't need them that's for sure.
0: We're not advocating that. Don't go and fire all your purchase ledger stuff. Um, Pivoting slightly away from something that's quite pioneering is that the first MTD, it's a bridging software I've seen advertised now, which is from one, two, three sheets, which basically just takes an Excel spreadsheet and links it into the MTD. It's a portal. Obviously, that's not something that we think is the way forward for businesses. And it's not something that um, we think you should be advocating for your clients. But it is an option, especially for those that are incredibly simple if the software out there proves too expensive. Very simple, very much like the MTD bridging software for VAT links. You have a spreadsheet, you select where it goes, it feeds through into the HMRC platform.
3: At one point, with the mtd for its uh, rules and regulations that we'd seen it wasn't clear if there would be the ability to have an excel bridging software tool like we've had for for vat so the fact that we've now seen a product out there in the market is, is really interesting and, and I, I actually tend to disagree with you a little bit ryan in terms of i think there is some value in the market because i think there are quite a few people that will be affected by by mtd for it uh, who will be keeping records in excel where their needs are probably relatively straightforward and they don't want to pay for a some, some software to, to effectively replicate what they've already got. I mean, I think bridging software for VA is certainly becoming less prevalent within our practice we're, we're finding that more and more clients are moving to cloud products. And I suspect that will probably be the same for it so over a period of time. And of course, corporation tax in five, six years time when that comes. Okay, moving on. The open banking 90-day rule is about to be removed fairly imminently in about a month or so's time. It's one of the major frustrations that a lot of accountants experience when dealing with things like bank feeds and other products. Uh, The fact that it's due to be removed is, as I think, going to be very helpful for accountants, bookkeepers uh, in the marketplace. The analytics guys did a really interesting piece on this on Accounting Web, and their take on it is is that, as as ever, slightly frustratingly, this is going to be a little bit patchy because it's down to the banks to Implement these 90-day rule changes, and that, of course, means that unless someone gets hold of this, it's going to be a little bit inconsistent. This 22nd of March deadline when that rule change is supposed to happen may well, may well slip. In fact, I would say it's almost inevitable to slip because we know that the high street banks are pretty crappy when it comes to technology.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a definite. But let's see how much it sits by. Hopefully, not as delayed as the initial open banking launch. All right, let's jump into specific app news. So Oracle NetSuite has launched a Cash360 creation, which is a cash management dashboard. Basically, it looks like the same cash management dashboard you have in small software that looks at your debtors um, and your creditors, looking at your payment um, terms and bringing that in to do a simplified cash management flow. I'm sure there's a lot more interesting tech built into the back of it, but it looks like they're just replicating what's been in the marketplace for a while on a bigger suite.
3: (laughs) NetSuite are doing some really interesting stuff at the moment. We've just we've seen them integrate with quite a few products that we're more familiar with in the Zero and QuickBooks marketplace and ecosystem. And I, and I think this is a way forward. Again, we've talked before about how ERP products, as big and voluminous as they are, tend to be fairly average at pretty much everything they do rather than being really great at what they do. So I think it's quite exciting that they're starting to you see the impact of products that are probably on a lower level to them. So they're not directly competing with, but there's some really nice little bits of technology, bits of product that are there for them to effectively pick up and lift and and bring into their own. Talking about small products, free agent have just updated their auto extract to match with bank transactions. So it's very similar to any Dex users are out there when you're uh, getting your Purchase invoices processed in processed within Dex, it will find a bank match or it will find a match within Zero, for example, or, or QuickBooks, and auto suggest that. So, the free agent have just launched something very, very similar. that will be a little bit more of a time saver for free agent users. So very interesting. And then also a a small update from the Cresco team. They have uh, just brought in the ability for accountants to create a client and then invite that client into their product. And I think that's a good idea because quite a lot of accountants like to be able to control that initial point in the relationship and and just feed clients into those systems on a fairly piecemeal basis.
0: Yeah, definitely an improvement to the accountant portal. What you said about free agent ties into maybe them winning the awards through the um, accounting website because obviously they've put a lot of development into this specific app and the features that have come out of that and are continuing to come out of it. Jumping into Comma on topic with our guests today, and um, we've got a lot of updates which Jeremy might run into some more specifics on. But touching on some of these, we've got direct integrations into Nationwide, Clydesdale, Dansk, TSB and Revolut banks. And it's enabled future data payments for SVB, AIB, NatWest, RBS, Silicon Valley, Ulster Bank, and Tide. So, a lot of developments on the integration side as well as the operational side. They've done a lot of work on that zero integration regarding the, the pull down of bills and the control in that side. And they have built an integration into the zero payroll side from an export file situation you can just export the file throw it into comma i'm sure i'm simplifying this uh, jeb but throws it into comma and then you can make your payment from there conversely though Telaru have integrated directly into zero payroll um, and have announced that as a world first so from within zero you can make a payment directly into the Telaru system and push it out to your i guess your relevant employees from there and it'd be interesting i guess to hear a little bit later and um, what comma are doing in that space
1: Roo, that is an old one. I haven't heard them in a while. I haven't heard news about them in a while. Well,
0: they're having to do so... something now, aren't they? Because because Comma are, are in the market shaking things up. Got to go and do something about it.
1: Um, I, I think
3: okay. Telleroo, so... let me just... Let I me mean, just check this, but I think Telleru have lost their main man as well because I think Michael Reedler moved on.
1: Michael Reedler, so Michael Reedler is doing something on NFTs at the moment. Definitely worth following. But I think that once he kind of taken a step back, it all kind of won't peak tongue for a little while.
0: Are we Are we saying that NFTs are worth following? I think the jury's still out on <coughs> at the moment, aren't they? We uh, wait a minute. How much have you invested in the in NFTs?
1: <laughs> She's got
3: NFTs with my face on. <laughs>
1: And there are many women lining up to have them on a dartboard, John. I hope
3: that's um, a virtual dartboard.
1: (laughs) mm, mm, We'll see. Well, we'll at one of the accounting events, we'll see. Um, Right, so we've got some news on the raises this week. We've had uh, a raise from Carbon, who have had 66 million invested in by TideMark, so they are practice management software, and we uh, were fortunate enough to attend their roundtable. and It sounds like they are spending a lot of money getting the um, launch into the UK cemented, and also they are. I don't know what else they're doing actually on this one. Do you know? You anything say
3: about? they're getting their launch fermented,
1: cemented. <laughs> I
0: don't know. Cemented, um,
1: but I don't know if you know any more about them, Ryan, and what their plans are.
0: What I guess from our discussions at the roundtable, carbon had a huge push in America. They're they're a bit slower in the UK to get traction, and I think this is actually the investment is less about the specifics of what they're doing, but speeding up the amount that they are trying to build into the system over the course of the next year. They've had great traction with smaller firms up to a certain size, but there's certain uh, requirements that larger, more complex firms have that. They didn't have the functionality for, and I think they're having to build that in to really engage with those firms. So I believe, although it's speculation, that the raise will just help them throw that investment into the development team, bring that out quicker because that is is gaining traction quickly.
3: I, I think carbon as well are also probably the practice management system to, to look out for. I think they've got the the, the greatest ability to scale up for mid, mid-tier mid firms where we, we've all got a big problem around PM.
1: Yeah, and the fact that Pixie are targeting the smaller end of the market and they had their raise, let's not forget, a few months back, I think that we're probably seeing that carbon will pick up a lot of steam this year.
0: Centre, we're going after this space, but then um getting bought by Iris, I think has had a, a big negative impact for the impression of what's going to be thrown into the software from a development point of view. I know there's lots of people that were looking at centre and then it turned them off of, of the idea of pursuing that any further. And so there is a gap, especially on the cloud side, because the the larger vendors have struggled to develop a pure cloud product in the space. So, yeah, Carmen, got a lot of opportunity.
3: There's an irony to that centre acquisition, though, isn't there? Because IRS are probably... You know between them and cch are probably the two main players in the mid-market mid firms and you know to then buy a, a cloud product and turn a load of people off is a bit silly
1: right and then the next one i have on the raises is go cardless who had raised 312 million in series g with blackrock Amira so that is again more exposure and there was a couple of linkedin posts about it i don't know if you have any more information on that
0: no nothing specific for me they're just a behemoth now and i think it just helps them with their continued growth in many different jurisdictions
1: yeah and then we've got a really interesting a little bit of a different one so it's an accountancy cloud secured 1.5 million as a loan from boost and co so they are going to use that to create a hundred new jobs. And it was posted on Wes's LinkedIn this week as well. So it's obviously a little bit different because Boost & Co have a venture debt arm to them and they try to take as small equity stake as possible. But they have recently launched their new business called Growth Capital. And that is all around investing into small businesses. Again, different types of financing products that are aimed directly at business owners so that was interesting and then we've got banked who have raised 20 million and banked it's an application that uh, allows more customers to pay by bank so things like online shoppers in the UK can make card free purchases and have the money taken directly out of their bank accounts at checkout so it means that they bypass the visa and mastercard fees that are being paid so there's that
0: John, is this an, an open banking alternative or are they using the open banking payment rails? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you know this stuff.
3: Yeah. So bank banks are using the open banking payment rails. And um one of the apps that has come through the early adopters hub, Converso, are using are using them as a as a as an alternative to or alongside products like Stripe to enable, enable payments and really focusing in on the, the sales type of things. So everyone's after open banking. I mean, that's that's where the Go Card plus raise was all about as well, as about focusing on their expansion into go into the open banking sector expanding into new territories and they brought on some really interesting people from the likes of Klarna and some other big players in the space
1: that's it from the raises
3: can I have a bag of nuts please
0: we're not this right we are this but she does get us back as well she gets us back in the edit did you see Um, John
3: Horton's comment on the on on the post on, on the best episode ever the fact oh, that two God. minutes in and there's a comment about having sex with a teddy bear mask on it.
1: You shouldn't have said it if you didn't want it in the edit.
3: There's lots of things that I say which probably shouldn't go in the end. After the, the sort of slightly xenophobic sort of start to the pod, I'm sure we'll be getting quite a deluge of uh, Irish reviews. <laughs>
2: I do know many accountants, so depending how well you treat me, it depends how, how much promo you get over there.
1: Um, Again, we're not all the same. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just no, giving You leave me alone, that was protective. Oh, I don't have
1: questions you know yet. <laughs> I have every faith in you. I think you can give it back, you know, and that's all John really needs. Just don't be bit. gentle with him. That's what I've learned.
3: <laughs> wow. Uh, so, as Ryan said, we're joined by Chair Kelly today from Commer. I'm really excited to find out a little bit more about Commer, particularly as they're one of our cornerstone sponsors. So, you know, really exciting that they've uh, seen the opportunity to tie up with us. And equally, we're pleased to help them convey the opportunity that they've got for the marketplace. So, just by way of background, you know, Commer is one of a new set of payment apps that have come into the market, and these guys in particular – are based entirely on the open banking payment rails, which means that for anybody that's interested in using them, you can connect them to your cloud accounting software You're then able to pull down the invoices and also payroll information. And then from a single push, you can take yourself straight into your banking app and make those payments. Uh, So it's a really seamless, slick process to do things. And for us, uh, certainly for me anyway, this is the future, particularly for B2B payments. So, Cher, tell me uh, a little bit more about your background and also how Comma came about and, and, and why you've really sort of embraced this opportunity.
2: Yeah, sure. So, my background has primarily been the financial side, the payment infrastructure layer. So, kind of actually connecting the financial institutions into, yeah, I guess kind of similar to your own enthusiasm as a case. So, I really saw the opportunity of kind of what open banking is bringing to the market and what it can really mean is this kind of grows and banks open up their APIs and that data a lot more. And I think that's what Comma is really very much based on is kind of what can this technology do? And I guess, you know, what we see ourselves as doing is we're on this mission to basically remove financial process bullshit, right? So all the processes that kind of just exist because that's what banks do, we, we're we here to fix that. And we're, we want to look at them and say like, but well, how could this work better? You know, you gave a great summary as to kind of how we do that. I think the key part of that is how we use book payments, right? There's a lot of softwares out there that allow you to kind of like pay your bills one by one And yes, you shave a couple of seconds off. But if you're talking about your payroll or, you know, your end of month invoices, you don't want to be doing that line by line. You want to say, yep, I agree with this, tap, tap, off we go. And that's what Comma is here to do.
3: Awesome. And... Um, so on that bulk payments thing, because you're absolutely right. I mean, that's probably the key to what you guys have brought to the space at the moment. And there are others who will do that one for one payments, which I know for a lot of our clients, for their end suppliers is a frustration because you end up with lots and lots of transactions going through. It doesn't really work for them. Is there a future to automating that process even more? Absolutely. So
2: one of the key, I guess, issues we face is that bulk payments isn't, key to kind of the open banking regulation. So it's something that banks have kind of slowly been coming to terms with and rolling out. Hence, back during kind of, you know, the, the news, you heard this big slate of things that we're introducing. And this is, as banks are bringing them on board, we're, we are integrating as quickly as we physically can to get all that functionality to users.
3: Okay, cool. And is there a a risk to comma of of the banks doing this themselves? Because obviously, you know, for most businesses, they'll be used to making payments within their own banking apps themselves. That's probably the traditional way of doing things. So how do you guys protect yourselves from that risk?
2: I mean, you know, there's always the risk that banks will kind of see the value of banking and try and find a way to monopolise that for themselves. But Equally, banks you now, they represent that legacy infrastructure, that legacy technology in kind of its purest form. And that's why open banking came along, right? That kind of the entire world was crying out for the need for this industry to work better. And it just wasn't happening. So I think it's very much a case of co-creation with the banks. They're fundamental to making this work. What we're definitely seeing is more and more those banks are investing more time and more resource. Into what can they really do with open banking and unlocking this marketplace? Users don't have to be shackled to the long lead times it takes for banks to develop, you know, integrations. That players like Comma we come along and we actually find a way to connect up that journey. While banks could in the future look to do this themselves, it's a question of why do they need to when it partners like us, who have actually already thought about it and can react in a much more agile fashion.
3: Okay, excellent, and. Is there a a sort of a key to that? I suppose the key to this for me is that when you're dealing with B2B payments, and particularly when you start to to deal with slightly larger businesses, they will have a a much more layered structure to how they go around doing that accounts payable process and particularly around uh, payments. So it may be that, for example, one person might set up a payment, but then someone else has access to the account to actually agree those and, and press the button to send them. So is that something that Comra are going to focus on in the future to build into their product? I'm so
2: glad you asked because it's not just case that we're going to build it. it. It is at the core of our product. It already exists. So we built a product with in mind a, a lot of small businesses use the likes of kind of outsourced accountants who conduct that payroll from them and historically have just sent them an Excel file or kind of a list of here's what you have to pay. So as part of our journey, we do have the ability for users to kind of create a payment run and then share that link over to whoever has the authorization or the bank account details. It doesn't all have to be done by one person. It can be shared out. And so, yeah, that is key to what we do. And I think it's key to how the market as a whole works. Right. As you look at these bigger businesses who still feel these pain points, you know, as you say, there's more complexity that we need to unpick. And that is something that we are fundamentally trying to address.
3: Excellent. And I suppose I probably should ask this before I get too far into this, because as most listeners will probably know, I'm very enthusiastic about open banking. I'm sure you're equally enthusiastic about it, but is open banking truly the future?
2: Absolutely. It's the trend you see across every industry, the need to kind of conglomerate what has traditionally been very segregated industries and segregated functions. And basically refine them into user journeys. So the idea of kind of looking at what someone's trying to achieve rather than just a single step in that process. And so open banking is really allowing players like Comet to do is to find those journeys and kind of sit on top of them and find out what really makes them work and unpick those use cases. So if this is left in the hands of the bank, there's, there's only so much of this they can solve. Right? So what they need is someone who can actually kind of sit here, have the conversations with you know the small businesses, with the people actually having to key these payrolls, and figure out how can make this work better. And we can then react in a much more agile fashion to make that a user journey that just really makes a difference to users, to small businesses, and just it, it buys them time. You know, I think that is at the core of what open banking can unlock.
3: Yeah. That sounds pretty good. So can we just dive in a little bit deeper on the specifics of it? Because I think probably quite a lot of accountants and businesses in the world still are a little bit confused by maybe what open banking is there's lots of reference to things like open banking payments there are elements of open banking which have sort of crept in through the back door if you like so the the things like uh, pay verification that we're now seeing in banking apps that's a consequence of open banking but we maybe don't realize it is so just just try and break down exactly what it is that makes open banking different from historic payment architectures that we're used to and also how the regulation works around that yeah
2: absolutely so Open banking came around, I think it's 2018, I really should have brushed up my history here, as part of kind of the, the psd 2 regulation. And what I was really there to do was kind of give the financial services industry a bit of a shakeup. So it was about opening the door to kind of let smaller players in to play with bank information without you having to have multiple banks, right? So it's not about having to set up you know, a whole other account that you then have to manage as part of your treasury function or having more cards. It's the idea of using your existing bank accounts, but better and allowing other players to do the heavy lifting rather than, as I say, waiting on those long lead cycles of waiting for banks to come around. And um, in terms of that regulation, it only goes so far, right? So there's lots of discussion as to what could be done better. And I think while those discussions are ongoing, what we're seeing more and more in the market is that people are turning to kind of in-house solutions. So kind of between specific providers or particular banks, it's like, what can we do to make this work? I touched on before that bulk payments isn't a direct requirement of open banking. However, it makes sense, right? Like no one wants to have to pay payment by payment, authorize every single one. And that's the journey that we're going to continue to see is that we're going to have a much more common sense. How do we want this to work rather than what does the regulation say? That that's it. There's a lot of work to be done by the banks to get to that point, but that's what we exist for.
3: Yeah, and a lot of the banks are, are mandated to comply with the the regulations that are set and things like that. But, but from my experience in the marketplace, that you know the banks aren't always all playing you know the same game, or certainly aren't providing necessarily the same information. And we are seeing issues with with what should be simple things like bank feeds and problems being created in zero. So, uh, do you, do you think more should be done? to you know, get the banks up to a, a level playing field where they're all providing this, you know, the same information and, and dealing with people like yourselves in the market in a similar kind of way.
2: Absolutely. And as I said, I think that's what a lot of these discussions are about is trying to kind of figure out what is the best case regulation for this. But in the meantime, it is about having those conversations about how do we want this to work and focusing on the user flow, not on you know, the legal requirements of it.
3: Yeah, cool. And just a quick pivot then on, on open banking, because open banking is obviously not just in the UK. We know the PSD2 regulations were European wide because it was a EU regulation. We also know that we're seeing in territories like Australia, Singapore, Canada, for example, and also America. And I just wanted to touch on maybe two things. One is, do the regulations that we have in the UK place a limit on commerce potential growth or does it create opportunity to move into other markets as well?
2: Potential, absolutely. So the UK is very much seen as the forefront of this open banking movement in terms of how far we've come. And what we very much see is that a lot of these other countries that are starting to introduce open banking are learning from the lessons we've learned here in the UK. I think Comma being the first of its class to provide this bulk payment processing via open banking has really set the standard for what other banks in kind of international markets need to be thinking about. And we bring that expertise in kind of our expansion to these conversations with banks that we can tell them, you know, this is what your customer is going to feel when they do this. And it's that co-creation journey that we have with the bank that when payments are failing, it's not just on comma, it's also on the bank, right? That customers quite frequently are asking us like, oh, I was really frustrated by this, that, is anyone else doing it differently? And I think that's where the biggest opportunity for banks really lie.
3: Yeah. And- How do you think that might contrast with somewhere like America? So obviously over in the States, they've chosen not to do open banking by regulation, by compliance. It's it's being led by the market. Do you think that's going to create its own different challenges?
2: Potentially. The biggest issue with not having the regulation there is that when you try and go to market, as Kama has, you're not going to be able to hit the whole market because you're going to have to individually kind of have those discussions with each bank and each bank is going to be on its own kind of development journey. And on top of that, if each bank builds it differently, that's a lot more work. It's a lot more kind of architecture that you have to put into play. So they're basically guaranteeing that it's going to be a very frustrating experience for customers and it's going to be based on what bank you're using. That's then a win for banks that really invest in this because they're going to be the one that customers flock to, to use this functionality, which as we know from all the market research and the feedback from customers using it, it, this is what they want. This is what we've been waiting for.
3: Yeah, But as you mentioned earlier, and as as I think both Ryan and I know as being sort of beta testers of the Comma platform, we know that bulk payments is not necessarily available even here in the UK across all of the banks. So even though we've got a regulatory regime, it's still presenting similar problems to what we would have in the US, for example, with the non-regulatory regime. I
2: would absolutely love if, you know, every regulation came with its own set of kind of API documentation, which outlined what everyone had to build to. Unfortunately, you are going to have that level of differentiation. And on top of that, that each bank is going to have its own risk tolerances. So, you know, it's quite difficult to say kind of a specific bank is better or worse than another when it comes to open banking integrations, primarily because, you know, as a user, you use your bank for lots of different things. What we're doing is we're optimizing that user flow for paying your payroll, for paying your invoices. So just because it doesn't work for one thing doesn't mean it's wrong for everything.
3: Yeah, yeah. And and just finally on that sort of international piece, again, specifically on the US market, we know that it's been sort of commercial driven. Do you think that someone like Plaid or, you know, obviously, had some significant interest from Visa, who really have a a good foothold in that market and our international markets. Do you think they're probably going to have a a step in front of a lot of other people in terms of helping those banks build those APIs or effectively have an API that they can essentially license to banks over there?
2: So I think, as you kind of touched on, the the American market at the moment is very much kind of wait and see. Quite similar to what they've done with kind of the instant payment rails, that they're kind of waiting to see how things play out in wider markets, that they can then apply those lessons internally. So at the moment, it's a bit of a wild west in terms of, you know, (laughs) if you want to try and build it, off you go. But what I expect to see is in a couple of years that we're going to see the American market just copy wholesale the best lessons they've seen across the world and very quickly catch up.
3: Yeah, yeah, cool. And how does that feed then into things like international payments? Here in the UK, we've got you know mega products like Wise, for example, which really sort of changed the game on international payments. And I know that they're spending you know a lot of money on on open banking, not just here in the UK but internationally. Do you think at some point in the future something's going to have to change to kind of bring all of these various regulatory environments together?
2: I mean, I hope so. We've lived in a very kind of complex financial regulation world for for a long time now. I I don't think open banking is going to be any different to that. But what I really think is because of how the market is developing, we're going to see a much more kind of consensus driven process to defining what these standards look like. It's more typical to the technology world, but I think once someone can kind of put their hand out and say like, we've cracked this, what we're going to see is everyone else kind of jump on that bandwagon and you know mimic whatever that standard has been set up so it's kind of a waiting game to see who really cracks that open banking formula first
3: Mm. so for me the opportunity is all here in the uk as far as i'm concerned you know we were one of the first i think we totally embraced the regulations we embellished the regulations to a degree as well and i think we've got probably one of the most exciting ecosystems to build out of and build on top of at the moment
2: I, I don't think I add much more to that to be honest. Like, it, it is an incredibly exciting space to work in. That the applications of what you can do are are almost limitless. And I think that's almost the restriction we have of we can't solve everything at once. And <laughs> we have to kind of you know start to break these up into the smaller chunks. But it, it really is just a case of anything you wish your bank could do with open banking, you can. And it's just a case of finding that use case and building out that flow.
3: Yeah, cool. And so, where does the future go for for commerce? As you say, the kind of there's the, the so much you can potentially do, but clearly that means that you've then got to bring a layer of focus to what you can do in the in the near future and the long term future. For so, what are the the key things that you guys are looking at at the moment?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as you touched on, kind of the UK market is incredibly exciting for kind of all the developments that are going along, and um, we're keen on just setting that first place example. As I touched on that. There's a lot to be done in this book payment space and for SMEs in general. And I think it's trying to define what we want that to look like as an industry and then applying that to the space. So working with the banks to identify what's currently missing from their integrations and trying to find a way to add it in a way that really facilitates value for our users. Once we crack that, it's kind of a case of the sky's the limit. You know, we, there are plenty of other problems out there, and there's multiple markets that you know are crying out for open banking. That we can apply those lessons that the UK have learned and, and bring that expertise with us as, as we grow.
3: Yeah, and more specifically around the payroll side, because again, Ryan and I, you know, both work for for large firms. We've both got payroll bureaus, which thankfully we're not involved with. But historically, payroll. Bureaus were backs registered and we were able to make payments on behalf of clients using that technology, although it was a fairly clunky and not particularly efficient process. So, more specifically, I just want to know more about the payroll payment side and who you integrate with and, and what that looks like.
2: Yeah. So we're having lots of exciting conversations with every kind of player in the space. We're speaking to the payroll providers, we're speaking quite directly with the financial accounting softwares to kind of understand where that user flow starts. So payroll is actually quite a complex product that, as you guys know, being big guys have to facilitate it. So actually trying to figure out where that journey starts and hooking into that and making sure all the information is pulled together. It's, you know, double entry might work for some parts of accounting, but I don't think it works for payments, right? Everyone wants to pay once, believe it at that. So yeah, we're, we're having lots of exciting conversations with uh, the payroll bureaus themselves, that kind of, how do we hook this into the product? So, you know, when you're actually looking at your payroll for the month, having that button there, that just says kind of pay it. Like, Let's go straight to the bank. Let's authorize it. A payroll done for, you know, the day, take those six hours you otherwise would have spent keying it through various systems, you know, go to the pub
3: <laughs>
2: or build out your business. Yeah. Both are valid options.
3: Yeah. And probably in that space, You guys have got a little bit more competition, haven't you? I mean, obviously, Modula is a fairly well-established player in that space at the moment. And what can you guys do better or more effectively than maybe they can at the moment?
2: I mean, do you want the full list or kind of do you want to finish up before the sun goes down? (laughs) So I I think at a a time, what we're really driving is a user-focused experience. This is all about kind of how you use the product not about you know what does our technology stack currently provide, which I think has always been the stance of these more legacy providers, shall we say. As well as that, it's about looking beyond just the single use case, right? So it's going towards the end of the month. You're not just looking to your payroll. You have your invoices that you need to send out. You have a lot of other people you need to pay and you don't want to be using different tools and having to jump between them. That what Comma is providing is that single one-stop shop that says you need to pay something. This is a quick way to do it. You don't need to worry about pre-funding accounts or manually keying different information. It's purely about what makes sense for you as a user.
3: Just doubling back on something that you mentioned before, which was sort of around your bank specifically. So do you think your payment technology like like Commer is kind of the end of customers maybe having to interface as much with the banks in terms of initiating payments and things? Are banks going to become just effectively... You know, a bucket where you hold your money if you like and, and everything else that we would normally do inside that bank app or online or, or in the branch is going to happen outside of that space in, a, in another piece of technology?
2: It's an interesting question because I think it goes to the heart of kind of why there may be a level of maybe not pushback but inertia in the kind of the, the banking industry in terms of is open banking a threat to them and, you know obviously I have a bit of a biased view but I, I really think it isn't that these kind of open banking flows that we're building, it it's a co-creation of value, right? That we can only work as far as the banks can go. And also that the banks have to understand that there's a level of service that they can't provide their customers, right? Yeah. And that's where they need to find other players like Comma who can help fill that gap. So it really is that opportunity for them to find new partners and new kind of ways to solve problems that they're not coming up with internally. I don't think we're going to get to the point where, you know, you start to forget who your bank account is with. Probably a good idea for you to keep an eye on what your balance looks like. But it's a case of what else can your bank provide you? Open banking facilitates account services to help you kind of keep track of all of your different balances in different places. It helps you make payments via Comma. But there are a lot of other services that banks still hold the keys on. Maybe in the future, we'll see challenges to those come along as well. But for the moment, what we're doing is adding value to banks. We're not taking it away.
3: Yeah. And I suppose one of the key things for a lot of businesses and maybe for a lot of accountants is that we hear quite regularly in the news that fraud is always a big issue around payments, especially in the SME world. So what can apps like Comma do to help minimize that risk of fraud in that, in that AP and payroll process?
2: Yeah, and there's a couple of ways we're currently approaching this. So the first is obviously that aggregation of sources, right? So being able to see into your accounting software, into your payroll software, and pull that data from a raw format, it reduces the risk of you know that manual intervention or you know those slippery fingers keying the wrong thing. So it can really help offset those kind of unintentional fraud cases or kind of that man in the middle style attack. And there is another kind of big initiative that. You've probably heard about confirmation of pay. that's also coming down the tracks yeah you know, that's currently in phase two so it's still only kind of kind of sequestered for banks but there is a plan in phase three to open it up to providers you know in the open banking space to allow them to make use of that functionality and, and that's the end of fraud probably strong way of putting it but confirmation of pay fully allows you to turn like am i paying who i think i'm paying and combining that with the value that open banking is already deriving is just, it's the golden solution. It's something we're pushing very hard to be a part of and to bring into our flow.
3: I'm assuming that will be restricted either to the UK or the European markets to begin with. But the value there is to do that internationally effectively, isn't it? Because as you say, yeah, we know that the biggest amount of frauds happen on international money flows, not necessarily on in in-country money flows. Exactly. And,
2: you know, there are providers out there who are kind of building bases in Europe and abroad of kind of different ways to perform confirmation of payee checking. But the UK, similar to open banking, is really setting the pace for what that can look like. And as we see this adoption take off, I think what we will start to see is a lot of other kind of geographies really start to just copy our notes a little bit and you know, skip ahead to the good bits.
3: Yeah. And uh, do do you think Comma will get to a point where they'll try and overlap more with the accountancy apps in terms of, you know, we know that in some countries, for example, we've got digital invoicing either legislated or or expected to be legislated in the the future. Do you think that will play a part in what Comma does in terms of development?
2: I mean, I'm not sure how much I can say before the head of product breaks down my door and kind of bashes me over the skull. But you know, we're what we're focused on is that value creation for the user. So I kind of mentioned before, our mission is very much about removing that financial process bullshit. And there's a reason it's quite that broad. It's really about kind of where are the inefficiencies in these flows and how can they work better. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think there, there's a need to say where we'll stop. It's just a case of how fast can we get there?
3: Yeah. And one more question. Probably the next big thing that's that's coming down the track after the abolishment of this 90-day rule is variable recurring payments. Do you see Comma, you know, getting on board with that and how will that look and feel? We're, we're hugely
2: excited for it. So obviously the recent announcements have been limited to kind of variable recurring payments, but between accounts held by yourself, um, which is great on kind of a personal level for people who have multiple cards. But unfortunately, isn't quite as applicable in the business space so once we kind of see the ERP really start to develop and get to a place where kind of we can apply that in a business context again we are hugely excited for what that can mean in terms of removing those friction points of the authorization journeys and jumping between your banking app and back out and it will really just allow you to have such a smooth experience that you kind of forget they're dealing with two different companies here It's this one single co-created flow with the bank and with Comma.
3: So I I suppose the key thing for me is that, you know, uh, let me set out where I think VRPs are going to be really interesting. So like in the SME space, you know, if you don't have access to the large scale commercial banking that maybe a big plc would have you won't have seen anything like bank account sweeping at all for example you won't see things and you probably won't have seen like pooled treasury functions that you maybe get in some group organizations so i think that's one area where there's an application for that but the other part of, of vrps for me feels like it's more of an embellishment of what we probably already see with the sort of things like direct debit and I suppose to it if you step back 20 years to sort of standing order so what's your sort of take on that in terms of you know how that will develop?
1: Yeah
2: absolutely and I think you've highlighted of the very exciting use cases for it in terms of How can you use open banking to just kind of automate those flows of moving money in ways that make sense to, yes, groups definitely benefit from it. But even when you think of smaller businesses that they equally have these needs of kind of when they need money in certain places at certain times, that having those integrated into the open banking framework that you as a small business owner don't need to stop and think about or hire an accountant or think about a treasury function. I know we were talking before about when does the end of accountants come and when you're all out of the job. I mean, depending how open banking goes, we we might be seeing that a lot sooner than you think.
3: (laughs) Hopefully tomorrow. I really joking. hope
2: this podcasting business takes off for you then. <laughs>
3: Thanks, yeah. <laughs> do you want to tell us what you really think about Teleroo Credit, you know, pay with WISE, which is obviously built into Zero. What else is there? Let's think of a few others.
2: Well, all I can really say, and yes, I'm biased on this, but no one's quite coming close to what Comma are providing. There are lots of use cases out there for open banking, but what we really see the value in is how do we make this work for small business owners? How do we... Unlock that value of, you know, the big commercial banking solutions, but for the guy who doesn't have 5 million in capital to put on hold just to, you know, get someone to answer the phone for him. And that's where kind of comma is really starting to set the standard of that focus on the user is really allowing us to figure out what they need rather than just focus on what can we build next. So by having that specific kind of user focus, we're it, it's great to see the likes of Telarura are slowly starting to catch up, but they're not quite at the point where Comma is. of Everything's in one app and it's a single flow. So maybe one day I'll feel a little less kind of secure answering this question. But for now, I really think that Comma has we're in a very special place in the market.
3: Cool. Cool. Well, thank you once again. Epic interview and lots of insights. So that was that was really great.
2: Uh, thanks very much for having me. Um, it's great to speak to other people who will love common and also just love open banking and see what we can do next. So looking forward to coming back in the future and we'll look back wistfully at all the things we are talking about in theory and
3: seeing what we built. Amazing. I'm looking forward to that already.
0: You've been talking continuously. Are you finished about talking about open banking now? Are you Is there anything else you two need to cover?
3: I, mean, we are, I don't know. We can keep going for ages. I mean, you <laughs> you know, could, what, could. What, can we just string it <laughs> String it out for another hour or so just to really continue.
2: <laughs> I had like a, I had a whole bit prepared in case you want me to go into why banks are so with open banking.
3: Oh um, yeah, go on. Go on, launch into it. I want to hear that. Yeah, yeah,
2: It's just kind of when you think about why banks haven't like fully embraced open banking as, as users, as accountants, we're like, we're crying out for more. But on the bank side, it it has been quite incremental. I, I heard this described recently and um, quite well, I think it's, it's more, it's inertia rather than pushback there's two main drivers they have to think about why banks haven't fully gone open banking so the first is the fact that kind of for these large legacy banks the idea of pushing a change production is, is terrifying it's a multi-month process of lots of approval lots of red tapes and that cost counter just keeps ticking up so you know they hear these great ideas but then it's a case of okay but that's several thousand man hours to get into production so those initial great Eureka moments that happened back in the day are, are somewhere in the middle of the pipeline. It's just a case of waiting for them to really come to the fore, and then we'll really see the you know the process start to take off. Um alongside that, you have the more kind of like digital providers like Revolut, Monzo, Starling, who you know, they see the benefit in this and you know they're already adding it into their existing product offering, doing what they do best. They're just gobbling up the market share of the banks that aren't catching up. And um, the other kind of side of it is when you think back to how open banking actually came along, this wasn't a big group consensus of what a great idea we have as an industry. It was regulation. With regulation, all anyone wants to do is, is not get fined and you know not get in trouble. So all everyone's focused on is meeting that regulation. So it really stops the conversation when you're trying to talk about what else you could do when the, fir- the first thing they're trying to do is cover their base and say, but have we met the regulation? So what we're really trying to do is change that attitude in the industry of this isn't about the regulation piece. The, rec- the regulation has gotten us so far, but to really make open banking work, we need to push the boundary in it and get past the idea banks have to hold the keys to everything, you know. What we're seeing more and more is that actually sometimes the small guy has a better idea.
0: And that, unfortunately, brings another pod to a close. Massive thanks to the Comma team, first, for sponsoring, being our inaugural sponsor of the show, and secondly, for coming on and talking about open banking. We hope that you enjoy the show as much as we love making it. If you do, please hit follow on whatever device you're using so you download all the shows and can listen to them at the most convenient time for you. Please leave us a review. It's really great for us to hear if people enjoying the show or any feedback they've got. Please leave comments and share with your friends. We want to get this to as many people as possible. We have a really interesting comment on LinkedIn uh, recently, which was from John Horton, which picked up John Toon's interesting bedtime activities on the last show. So if you've not listened to that one, go and download it now and listen to what, what John was talking about. He's shaking his head at me at the moment. He obviously doesn't want me to bring it up. So if you want to reach out to any of us individually, please contact us on LinkedIn, both myself and John and Indy as well. Just make sure in the message you say that you are not a bot because we're getting more of those every day. And Joe, if anyone wants to reach out to you or learn more about Comma, how do they go about it? Yeah, Yeah, so if you'd like to learn more about Comma, you can go to our website,
2: usecomma.com. exactly as you'd expect it to be felt. In the event you would like to reach out to me um, on LinkedIn, it's G E R, that is how it's spelled, Kelly.
0: And yeah, please reach out. I'd love to discuss. Cool, thanks. And I have just seen as well that you are a Zero Awards finalist, which must be great news. Jim, you're already planning the party. I've already popped the champagne, but no,
2: it's great to be named. And yeah, we've done a lot of great work with Zero. Yeah, great to see that
0: recognised yeah perfect timing just as we're recording so yeah thanks everyone thanks um for listening and please tune in next episode to hear more about the cloud accounting tech world in the uk